Yo, yeah, yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, and welcome back to Ride Better Faster, a show about cycling training and racing. I'm Damien Roos. In this episode, the components of compound training that deliver long-term compounding growth as opposed to short-term results. Plus, how Chris Froome loses weight and measures whether he's fueling his training with fats or carbs. When I look back on my time as a cycling coach, my most successful athletes are the ones that used compounding growth from a similar set of components. I'll get into those components in a moment, but first, what is compound training? Like compounding interest, there are things that you can do in training and racing that build assets over time as opposed to generating results right now. Like compounding interest, they are unlikely to result in quick wins. In fact, you might have to believe it despite no evidence of it really working for a long time. But with the right approach, if you can find yourself with an advantage on your competition, I think it's worth a look. By way of a simple definition, compound training is putting effort into things that go up in value. Here are the three components that I've identified that have delivered long-term compounding growth as opposed to short-term results. Number one is consistency, number two is training volume, and number three is details. If you can do these things, it gives you a pretty decent advantage. And as a case study, I'm gonna use a longtime semi-pro cycling rider, Jay Vine, and hopefully you get an insight into your own cycling if you wanna improve your cycling as much as possible, as quickly as possible, or ride better, faster. See what I did there? So what comes first? Consistency comes first. In reality, there's no magic bullet, no magic pill, and no secret. Long-term consistency is what matters. Many talented athletes will not develop to their potential due to one simple factor. Their training was not consistent for a long enough period of time. Here's a quick lesson on why consistency is important in compounding growth. Let's think about it in terms of what happens when you aren't consistent. You detrain. There are a number of studies that have demonstrated the immediacy of detraining upon cessation of training. Detraining occurs as quickly as three days after training ends, and within one to three weeks, performance can be expected to drop by 25 to 30%. It's even longer with, say, one to three months of no training. Expect a loss in performance of 40 to 50%. For all but elite athletes, this kind of loss will bring most athletes back to pre-training levels. Ouch. So when we think about these numbers, the importance of keeping on keeping on becomes clear. And digging deeper into the mechanisms behind these fitness losses are equally interesting. In just one week of training, athletes can lose 50% of additional mitochondria produced during five weeks of training. Once lost, up to four weeks of additional training are needed to regain this mitochondria. It's similar for glycogen stores as well. They rapidly decrease upon cessation of training with losses of 40 to 50% to be expected following four weeks of detraining. This has direct implications on the athlete's work tolerance upon resuming training. Even following one week of detraining, the athlete will often not reach pre-break training volume until one month or more of training resumption. The other part of this that needs a mention is injury. Injury and illness are the most common causes of lost training. Or how I like to think about it, being free of illness and injuries will help you reach your goals more often. 
without going into too much detail, some preventative measures such as strength training, sleep, and hygiene routines are some of the best and non-sexy ways to do this. Overall though, consistency really comes down to three areas. So here are my three guidelines on maximizing compounding growth from consistency. Number one, don't miss three days of training in a row. Number two, outside of pros, really take as little time in weeks away from aerobic activity as possible. So try another form of aerobic exercise in the off season, for example. And number three, keep coming back year after year. Now let's look at Jay Vine's consistency, working backwards from the third guideline. He has been all in on training for the last six years, slowly ramping up each one of those years, basically building each year. We'll get to what that looks like volume-wise in number two. When we have a look at weekly breaks, in 2016, he had seven weekly breaks off, not all in a row. 2017, two, 2018, two, and 2019, two. So two weeks off of all types of activity in a yearly break is the max time off after seven weeks off in 2016. We are talking about non-aerobic weeks. So doing other activities can be recorded here. It's just these were the planned weeks that we wanted to do nothing. And the final one, missing three days in a row from any activity that generates a TSS is how I've kind of framed it here. So this might include season breaks and extended rest periods as well. In 2016, he had 12 weeks of three days off, 2017, four weeks, 2018, four weeks, and 2019, four weeks. So this tracks along with the entire weeks off and would be linked to end of season and mid-season breaks. It's clear to me that if you want to improve your threshold power, VO2 max, peak power, or any other performance parameter, consistency in training is a prerequisite for success. This means minimizing unscheduled time off training by preventing injuries, preventing illness, and planning to avoid gaps in your training load. Next, it's about training volume and increasing the duration of your workouts and or training more often. There are good reasons for this, not least because, as Alan Cousins says, most athletes significantly underestimate the benefits of volume on performance and significantly overestimate the value of intensity on performance. Extensive increases to workouts or increasing the duration of your workouts will help you increase your capacity to perform endurance work. The underlying physiological processes of endurance performance involve your heart, blood vessels, nerves, and muscles, and includes important processes like tapping into the body's energy storage and supply and converting these into energy for your muscles. The physiological pathways that get stimulated more often tend to adapt by becoming more efficient. It's by no means a linear process, meaning you can't just keep adding volume and you'll keep improving. And dependent on your starting point, the more hours you train, the bigger stimuli to enhance the physiology that contribute towards your endurance capacity. The best case in point here is Thibaut Pinot, who spent six years gradually increasing his training load to become a podium Grand Tour rider. His progression between age 18 and 23 was published in the Journal of Sports Sciences by Julian Pinot, his coach and older brother, and Fred Grappe, FDJ's coach and director of science. If you don't know who Thibaut Pinot is, he's an expressive French pro rider with GC podium finishes in the Tour de France and several top 10 finishes in Grand Tours. And this article demonstrates a severe jump in endurance capacity in this six-year period. This development was closely associated to an increase in total training hours and total training load. 
Over the six-year period, Pinot's yearly hours increased from 526 to 943. It's not just hours, but they did look at training load. But the interesting part for me is the progression in his watts per kilo for durations like two hours and FTP. I'll get to some of his numbers in a moment, but first I wanted to draw a parallel with Jay Vine's training hours. Under my coaching, we went from annual hours of 461 in 2016 to 754 in 2019, a 64% increase. Not as drastic, but Jay isn't a pro yet. Now, I was comparing Tebow's numbers to Jay's to see the progression. And if we look first at watts per kilo at two hours, we can see Jay started off at 3.3 watts per kilo. Tebow starts at 4.7. Moving through though, Jay finishes at 4.9 watts per kilogram, which is a 48% increase, and Tebow finishes at 5.0, which is 6.3% increase. Next up, FTP at watts per kilogram, and Jay starts at 4.7 in year one, and by year six, he's up to 6.2, which is a 32% increase. Tebow starts at 5.0 and ends at 5.7, which is a 14% increase. So some big leaps in performance for both of these riders, as well as underlying changes that aren't measured directly, things like economy, etc. Now, there isn't a lot of detail in that answer because there are so many individual variables in making this work for each rider. But with my experience and research, it's safe to say that like consistency, training volume is compounding. Results are initially very slow, but the benefit stacks up exponentially. Day after day, make a habit of depositing more into that volume account and you will see results. Now we have come to the final component. And while I'm calling it the details or just details, you can think about it as small hinges that swing big doors. Things that may not give you a noticeable boost in performance for the first or the hundredth time you use them, but will be adding up to a big payday in the future. On this list, I have things that I know of Jay, although I'm missing things like racecraft and pacing, which I know he's worked on a lot. I will say that the biggest one missing is sleep. Not because Jay doesn't sleep well, but because I don't have the insight into any changes that might have occurred over time. But I want to be clear, sleep is the most effective performance enhancing technique and has a compounding growth effect that is second to none when looking at bang for your buck things to do. If you haven't nailed sleep, meaning getting a consistent nine to 10 hours per night, then you're missing out. End rant, let's start with nutrition. I sent Jay to a nutritionalist early on in our relationship. And after he told me that he forces his veggies down, I knew it was the right thing to do. It was still a bit of a progression to get him eating the right food at the right time, but he definitely has tightened up his diet over time. And next was focusing on recovery nutrition after every ride. This is something that I know Jay worked on a lot and has definitely been able to reap the benefits of increased recovery when it comes to stage racing and also getting up the next day to go training. I'm going to round this out with the thing that brought it all together. Now, I've told this story to anyone that will listen, but I'll put it on record here. In the first year that I was coaching Jay, I could see his numbers were impressive but he wasn't getting the results his numbers were capable of. At the same time, I was coaching another rider that was getting big results nationally and was on a stint with a world tour development team while Jay was riding local events. I know there's a lot of timing and luck, in air quotes, that goes into this, but it made me wonder what's the difference. 
And it wasn't until Jay changed to the road full-time that the difference was clear. Something clicked in Jay, and it was obvious when it happened. So one day I had to ask him, what changed? I'm not sure if it was one race in particular or a couple of races, but the change came in proving to himself that he deserved to be at the front of the race. Probably looking around one day and thinking, I'm as strong as any of these guys. Plus, I'd like to think he saw the other riders for what they are, humans, just another guy that rides their bike. And with that, he went from not quite putting it together in races to podiums on UCI 2.1 and 2.2 races. Here's my final thoughts. If you're starting your journey, take your development slow. Don't rush through sweet spot based training and weeks and weeks of high intensity training early on in your development. As a reference, Jay is not the person he was two years ago, let alone six years ago. He is more focused and committed than ever. And as a result of compounding growth, he's not only capable of doing the work physically, but also getting it done mentally when it counts. He is essentially a different person, let alone a different rider. Which leads me to my final point. In six years of riding, the you from when you started riding should feel like a total stranger. If it doesn't, you either haven't cashed out yet or you're not compounding your effort. If it is the latter or you're a beginner, start with small, smart choices and consistency and time and your results can be better than you ever hoped for. once again for The Chaser, the segment of the show where I talk about something that is probably unreleased, untested, or has nothing to do with cycling. This time, Lumen. This is Lumen, the first device for hacking your metabolism. With just one breath, Lumen tells you what you're currently burning for energy, carbs, or body fat, so you can see what's going on with your metabolism in real time and what to do about it. A small breathalyzer-like device that aims to give people more information about how they process food in order to achieve their fitness and weight loss goals. Now, I stole that directly from their website. But basically, it's a thang that you breathe into and it analyzes your breath. It gives you a score and a scale of one to five to tell you whether your body is running on energy from fat stores or from carbohydrates or a combination of both. It follows with a recommended meal plan of approximately how many carb, fat, and protein servings you should be eating, with the ultimate goal of making your metabolism more efficient. Does this sound interesting to cyclists? It certainly sounded interesting to this guy. Hi, this is Chris Froome, and I'm busy preparing for the upcoming Tour de France. Old mate Froome, preparing for the um, 2021 Tour de France. But let me play his entire bit. This is obviously a, a really key moment of the season for me, trying to lose weight. I've got to be as, as light as I can to get up those mountains and making sure I'm up to race standard come the beginning of the Tour de France. Trying to balance those two aspects has been quite tricky, but I've found a, found a tool that's really helped me, and that's the lumen. Basically what you do is you, you breathe into the lumen, it will give you a reading on if you're burning fat or if you're burning carbohydrates. And the lumen will tell me just at what stage my body's at and, and what fuel source I'm burning. So it's been extremely useful and a great tool for me to use ahead of this year's Tour de France. Let's recap what Froome is using it for. What did he say? He's trying to lose weight. Now, if Froome needs help losing weight, we're all in big trouble. But jokes aside, I guess it's about optimizing at that level. But without him going into the details, it's hard to tell exactly when he's using it. 
If he was doing fasted rides, he could whip it out of his pocket to see if he's in a fat burning mode. Same goes for any type of intensity, I guess. Are you burning carbs? The trouble here really is that you're optimizing on a one to five scale, which really is not so detailed. Regardless, they do encourage users to get their lumen score before a workout to help determine if they're sufficiently fueled up, and then 30 minutes after a workout to see what's happened after you've done that intensity and how the workout affected your metabolism. So really, it seems like it's aimed towards more of a general user or somebody just learning how to figure this stuff out rather than someone that's really trying to optimize at the higher or top end of sport. Now, I will touch on the science a bit behind the device and app because to actually understand Lumen, you need to know a bit about metabolism science. So do bear with me just for one second. Measuring a person's metabolism usually takes place in a lab and it's not typically something people do regularly, let alone daily. So surprisingly, the amount of oxygen you breathe in and CO2 you exhale can contain a lot of information about how you process food. When you go in for a metabolism assessment, one number you'll get back is your respiratory exchange ratio, or RER, which is the amount of CO2 expelled divided by the amount of oxygen inhaled. This ratio reveals what kind of fuel a person is running on. Lower means fat and higher means carbs. Lumen's internal studies and a study conducted by the San Francisco State University have found that Lumen's measurements are comparable to an RER measurement taken by a traditional device. In reality, the Lumen scale is a relative score that can track change over time, but it's not an analog for a measurement you take in a lab. Kind of like how a power meter may not be accurate, but you can still track changes over time. Not being 100% doesn't kill its usefulness as long as you know about its flaws. Now, I've seen a product like this before. Back in 2013, a similar product called Breezing developed a device that was handheld, mobile, and used an app. It never got off the ground and looks to be reinvented into a larger medical device. But this company has raised over 17 million bucks, which might explain Chris Froome's interest. But anyway, the device costs 299 USD and you can buy it from Lumen's website, lumen.me. Its use case is a bit vague for cyclists and certainly seems too vague for serious cyclists. But I guess if it's accurate, then it could help you fuel better for specific types of efforts but only maybe marginally better because it is only a one to five scale. So Froom Dog, I will personally be giving it a miss. Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out more episodes at semiprocycling.com. Until next time, ride well.